Hey guys, before we get started today, I want to let you know that the college football final rankings will be announced this Sunday, along with bowl announcements for the teams that didn't make the playoffs. And ESPN's College Game Day podcast with Reese Davis and Pete Thamel, along with Always College Football with Greg McElroy, have you covered. Follow and listen where you're listening to this podcast. Welcome back to Municom Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast one of the hosts thinks Elijah Moore should recreate his Egg Bowl celebration. Dogs everywhere loved it. I loved it. We're actually going to talk about Elijah Moore today. This is Mina Kimes. I am joined today by a first-time guest making his debut on the podcast. I just realized I forgot to double-check your pronunciation before we got started. I'm going to take a stab at it. Mike Tanier? Absolutely correct. Phenomenal first time. Yes. Uh, so Mike, for those who don't know, is a senior analyst at Football Outsiders, of course, indispensable. We use it a lot uh, on this show. Uh, you can also read his writing at The New York Times. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Tanier, one of my favorite follows, um, one of the smartest football writers around. Mike, I, I, not only is this your debut, I, fi- I feel like you actually picked the best weekend of football of the season thus far. I am so excited to be here on a weekend where there are really good games, like a variety of good games. Last Sunday, I'm sitting in a Philadelphia area (laughs) bar at one o'clock, and it's me and another guy, and we're looking around, and there's some soccer fans, and there's nobody else there. And we're like, well, what do we want on the dish? And it's like, well, I guess Titans-Bengals. Like, that that was was the choice. That was the choice. And now we have a cornucopia coming in this week. I actually, like, couldn't. Did narrow it down to six. And then I remembered Bill's Pats was on Thursday. So I kind of put that at the end. We'll see um, how much time we have. But yeah, it is. I mean, it's just like wall to wall bangers. I and then, of course, like a very underwhelming Sunday night game, which is kind of a bummer. But I I don't even know where to begin. Usually I go. I, I almost wanted to start with Niners Dolphins because I feel like that is the I don't know, cream of the crop this weekend. But I actually I, I'm going to save that for a second. Um, and we're going to get to that. And you have a piece in the New York Times on Tua and his success this year that I recommend people check out. I want to start with Jets-Vikings, though, um, which, I, you know, that of all these games, like, I think we would have known, well, Chiefs Bengals, obviously. But the Niners Dolphins, you know, I don't think we knew the Dolphins would be this good, of course, but it is the Mike McDaniel return. Jets-Vikings, though, is one where I don't think anyone would have earmarked that as an important playoff ramification-y game ahead of the season. And then, of course, we certainly wouldn't have predicted that Mike White would be quarterbacking uh, the Jets against the Vikings. Mike, I want to start there. Let's let's start with Mike. Uh, what did you make of his performance last weekend? And do you think, given how bad the Bears' defense is, there's any carryover against Minnesota? I think it was Quincy Avery on the uh, internet, who's a great Twitter follower, who just summed it up saying, Mike White played quarterback like an adult. Mm. Um and I, t- I took about a thousand words to say the same thing on Football Outsiders. It's like this was not a phenomenal performance. If if you box score, box score, you know, scout it, you're like, oh, three touchdowns. It was phenomenal. It was not. But he was able to do all of the basic skills things you would ask from a quarterback. That's new for the Jets this year. They they haven't had that really for the last couple of weeks. So I think it was solid enough. And you're right that Bears defense, you know, it's depleted. There's not a lot left there, but. I think he can replicate some of these things against the Vikings where you're going to have opportunities with Garrett Wilson open. You're going to get opportunities with Moore and some of these other guys open. And if you can check down and play within yourself, which is all Mike White was doing, 
then you're going to be able to let your defense win a game against this Vikings team. My curiosity with White is how many weeks before he turns into a pumpkin. And I think last year it was like one and a half before he, he, mm. he went completely south. And I, I don't know, in the way this Vikings season has been going, like usually they'd be getting the bad quarterback right now. <laughs> like they would be getting like Zach Wilson right now, or Chris Streveler or something like that. So they're kind of getting Mike White where he's got his feet wet, but he hasn't been figured out yet. I don't think that's the best combination for the Vikings. Yeah, you know, I think that your point about Mike White, like when is he going to turn into a pumpkin? I'm looking at the Bills game next week. Um, because I actually think the Jets match up pretty well with the Vikings in terms of their offense versus the Vikings defense. Um, you alluded to kind of Mike White, you know, playing within himself. Um, one thing I thought was interesting, you know, so I didn't watch this game in real time. By the way, the amount of people who watch this game in real time, you all are sick <laughs> watching uh, uh, the Bears uh, Jets this weekend. But anyways, I, I digress. When I went back and watched it, you know, so I saw, um, you know, that he averaged, it was over 10 yards per attempt. And, and that was pointed out, you know, but then when you watch the game, it's like, oh, no, actually, it's you know, significantly, I think about half that or maybe a little bit more than half that in air yards per attempt. Um, but it was kind of like what you would expect out of a Lafleur, Mike Lafleur in this case, offense, which is throws over the middle of the field, getting yards after the catch. Um, and I think that's a good formula against Minnesota, Mike, because this is a defense that has two very good pass rushers in Zedarius Smith and Daniel Hunter, um, but a lot of weakness behind them. And, and something I just pulled because um, I was kind of looking for, okay, where, where the areas in which... The, so I've expressed frustration with the Vikings defense and how much off coverage they play and um, you know just how much soft zone and how much they let offenses work underneath. So they're really, really bad at defending play action, which, of course, is exactly what they want Mike to, Mike to do, is just to take those easy play action throws over the middle of the field. So unless he... Unless the Smiths and uh, Hunter go off, I, I think it's recreatable against this defense. I think it is to a degree, and you're right. It's 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 a rather static defense. Uh, it really relies on getting pass rush out of those bookend tackles. And there have been games, like I believe, like on the Thursday night, or those bookend tackles were not getting home in any way. And you and you saw the results for most of that game. They pulled it out again. I'm looking at it right now off of Football Outsiders and DVOA. You're talking about a defense that is 27th. Excuse me, 29th against uh, number one receivers. Uh, 25th against number two receivers, uh, 17th against third and fourth receivers. Hmm. Uh, so, so you get the idea. It's, it's very exploitable all across there. Uh, and one thing I see is in there, in the middle of the field, at linebacker and safety, uh, they experience. They definitely have a lot of experience. They don't have a lot of speed. You know, they have a lot of guys who I think two or three years ago you were you would say this guy can go out there and win isolated matchups. Now they're sitting in zones looking to try and prevent yak. I don't know if that's a great formula against the Jets. Totally agree. I, like Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore, who I mentioned at the top, they're going to get open. And what we saw last week was when they got open, Mike White got them the football. <laughs> and that was, um, you know, pretty much it. So I, I, I think it's just kind of, you know, as long as it comes down to pressure and then it comes down to him just not making any unforced errors trying to push the ball downfield. Um, right. So, yeah, I, it, it, you just kind of I, I, like the, the listen, the Vikings defense is not as bad as the Bears defense, especially like the pressure element, I think, is the big differentiator, you know, because the Bears just can't pressure anyone right now. Um, but they're also they're, they're they're not the strength of this team by any means. So I, I think that's part of the reason why I think this game is interesting. And on the other side of the football, you know, the Jets defense has been one of the fun stories of the season. They are very good. They're technically sound. They've got a great four man rush. 
my question for you is, um, <laughs> do you think they can stop Justin Jefferson? I don't know. I was looking at the uh, statistics, football outsider statistics for Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, obviously having great seasons. Yeah. I believe, I don't have it up in front of me right now, the Jets are fourth in the NFL and DVOA at stopping number one receivers. So they've got an opportunity to do that. I know they, they keep their cornerbacks by sides. I'm pretty sure that Sauce is pretty much always on the left or mostly on the left and uh, Reed's on the right. Um, so this creates opportunities for the Vikings to move things around. I don't know because I've seen... For example, in the Eagles game, Justin Jefferson sort of get covered early in the game and disappear from the game plan, which I don't think is smart. Yes. I, don't, I don't think that's how the Vikings should be playing. I think it'd be, like we have to force opportunities this guy and not be like, oh, well, he, he's he's covered. Let's let's throw in the flat yes. to Dalvin Cook. I don't think that's a recipe for success. If, if, I'm, if I'm the Vikings and if I'm Kirk Cousins and I'm coaching that team, it's like, we're going to challenge Sauce. I mean, Sauce is a great rookie. He's still a rookie. You're Justin Jefferson. Challenge him. Try to get force these opportunities for some of these big plays, and I think that's the best matchup you're going to get against this Jets defense. Yeah, I've said this a lot in this show, but I I feel like there was a real turning point for Kirk Cousins, and I think it was the Commanders game where he was just like, "F it, I'm just gonna throw to him," you know. And I think if they could replay the Eagles game, they would approach it very differently, even despite how sticky the coverage was, because I have seen this dude double covered bracket. It doesn't matter. The God, the play um, on Thanksgiving where he split. The double coverage. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And yes, they should absolutely go after Sauce. Um, you know, the the Jets are primarily a zone defense. I'll be curious to see uh, defensively how, how Robert Sala, that unit, approaches um, their coverage plan for him and how much they put on Sauce's plate. But for them, I think it really starts up front. Um, you know, the yes. Vikings offensive line and, and it has been very beatable and Kirk Cousins has struggled at various points under pressure. He's overcome that too, you know, this season. But I think with the Jets, with this defensive line playing as well as they have, with so many guys getting pressure both on the inside and outside without blitzing, I think that's sort of the formula for them. It's not like the question, how do you stop Jefferson, Justin Jefferson? You bring Kirk Cousins down. <laughs> that's how you do it. You, you bring Kirk Cousins down, and they, they've got the guys to do it, Quinn and Williams. I, I don't have, right by the way, a Christian Darasaw health update. I don't know what his status oh, is. That's enormous. That's a Continues to that's be, a yeah. Big, yeah. What's funny about the Vikings, though, this year is every weird little advantage that a team can get, they've got. And, and, it's, and it doesn't always look like it's earned. For example, uh, they have this huge penalty differential advantage. And I would initially look at them and say, well, you have a lot of veterans on your team, so maybe you're playing penalty-free football. Then I watched them against the, the Cowboys a couple weeks ago, and the moment things went south, they were trying to bite people's like ankles off and things like that. This is not a super disciplined team. That's one of their advantages. They have a big field position ad advantage, but when you look at their kicking game and return games, it's not that. It's just that like uh, sometimes they get a pin, and a lot of times they get a touchback, and, and, and guys are bringing the ball five yards deep out of the end zone like the commanders were doing and getting tackled at the 13-yard line. And they've got all these strange little advantages, and that's what they have to leverage to beat better teams is all these little advantages. I don't know how sustainable that is for the Minnesota Vikings. So I imagine, you know, I, I used to try to pull up the lines. I forgot to do it before this. I, I, okay, without looking, what do you think the line is? If you already looked, don't answer that question. I have not looked at the line, so I'm going to take a guess right now yeah, and guess. say... Uh, in Minnesota. Okay, so Vikings minus four and a half. Vikings three. Wow. But, you know, yeah. Vegas has not respected the Vikings all year. 
Uh, so I that's wow. I pick him at home against Mike White. Yeah, that is yeah. Obviously, that's not what's being baked into here, but saying it is going to enrage Vikings fans. Um, God, <laughs> that is wild. Football Outsiders DVOA does not respect the Vikings either, and they're no. the first team with comes out as below average with negative DVOA being nine and two in history. And so, you know, all these stats speak to you. And I think that that's that Vegas, we always say Vegas, the house looks at them and says, yeah, it's Justin Jefferson or bust against these better teams. And yeah. I think that's where you get a line like that. I am. I, I, I can't pick Mike. White. I, I... <laughs> we just did a whole back and forth about how, why we think this is a good matchup for New York, but it's freaking, I mean, God, this is a tricky one. It's it, it's a good game. It's a good game. I, I, I've, I've just, um, I'm really struggling to pick against Justin Jefferson. <laughs> Forget just quarterbacks. I'm like Justin Jefferson to me, Mike, like has as yeah. much impact on a game as the quarterbacks do right now. Like it's so unreal what this dude is doing. Him and Tyreek. Yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe Nick Bosa could call There's nobody else in that category. Yeah. But that's right. And I look at the other side, and, you know, I have an old handicapper's law that says when the new quarterback's making his first start, take him. You know, bet on him in his first start because the line will overreact in the other direction. He gets the custom game plan. And I've made a lot of money this year off of that. In the second start, run screaming in the other direction. Just run away from that mm. because you don't, yeah. you don't know going to get and there could be a counter adjustment the other way that would have me leaning vikings i will say one thing i would consider a first quarter prop just taking the first quarter vikings come out of the uh, tunnel like gangbusters particularly on offense yes. the first drive is usually pristine um so i don't know if i'm going to take a bet on this game i might take the vikings minus one and a half in the first quarter uh and mm -hmm. then just watch the rest of the game after that all right, let's get to let's get to Niners. Uh, okay, the, the Niners Dolphins game or Dolphins Niners rather. Um, okay, so I'm actually just going to tell you the line at the start of this one because I so it this is uh, it's in San Francisco, and the Niners are favored by four, three and a half some books. So or four and a half in some. Okay, so it's it's it's, it's very close. It's very close. Um, this is just. Is is a first of all before we get into even the football of it? Have you been keeping up with the chippiness between these teams? Not really. Week? No. Okay, so I might be miss. Um, I so okay. I don't want to misrepresent this, so I'm just massive hedges everywhere. But Ty Dunn, uh, who has this a newsletter called Go Long, had a piece where he quoted. I'm pretty sure it was Ramhi Mostert. Just you know, it wasn't that shady. It was a little. He was just kind of like, yeah, you know, talking about the Niners, his old team. And since then, and then Raheem Mostert was like, oh, left out all the positive quotes. You know, he might have suggested the quarterback, you know, whatever wasn't as good. And so since then, the two teams have kind of gone, there's been players on both sides kind of just chirping, just chirping a little bit, um, which is incredible because these teams are kind of like photo negatives of each other, the offenses rather, in such a fascinating way. They're, it's such a great Styles Makes Fights game. They're, they're similar, but they're not similar. Let's start with the Dolphins offense, um, because you just wrote a piece about Tua and the success he's had this year. Um, what, like, if you can sum up why you think 
I mean, I've read the piece and I think our thoughts are very similar. Why you think he's playing so well and then maybe whether you think that translates against this defense, which is, of course, one of the best, if not the best in the NFL. Well, again, like I wrote like a thousand words for the New York Times and then my friend Mike Kay of the Charlotte Observer, you know, goes on Twitter and, and says, you know, ecosystem matters. And it's like, oh, that's all I really needed to say. I could have just said ecosystem matters and, and gone away. Because that's what you're getting, I think, right now with the, with the synergy between Tua Tunga-Viola and Mike McDaniel and, of course, the receivers there. And the numbers are ridiculous. But you talk about photo negatives. Uh, Football Outsiders just released um, passing by direction. So, like, now you can get at Football Outsiders, you can get, you know, left, passing left, passing right, passing deep, passing short. Number one deep passing team in the NFL right now is Tuatonga Viola and the Dolphins. Okay, the idea that somebody who has that let's call it C plus arm strength um, is doing that is is phenomenal. And you know, I broke the numbers down twenty five ways from Sunday passes past the sticks. He's uh, Tua is averaging like seventy percent completion rate on passes past the sticks. So. You know, 70% completion rate a couple of years ago would have been historic. Like, only Drew Brees could do that. Now Tua is doing that in this offense with these plays past the sticks. And, you know, I don't want to get too deeply into, like, like, like what do you call it, the, the, the film study type of things. But you're just consistently seeing teams with both safeties deep, teams not blitzing, all the numbers back this up, and you have these opportunities over the middle of the field for these receivers to move, you know, dig routes and crosses and catch the ball in the 10 to 20 yard range. And Tua can hit those passes and the, and the Dolphins are just making hay off of it. But God, that's Fred Warner's music. Um, so, <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, for, no, I want to hit the Tua thing before I get to the matchup. Um, yeah. I mean, like you, you summed it up basically, which is both of these offenses uh, thrive over the middle of the field. The Niners, it's a shallower depth of target with more yards after the catch the Dolphins, yes. it's a very high depth of target. That's pretty much the, you know, and then you've got a quarterback in Tua who um, has complete faith in the structure of the very good offense that is built on the speed of the skill players and an ability to use his eyes in anticipatory throws to yes. um, place those balls. So that's my very you know quick, abrupt summation of how awesome this offense is. Now, back to the Fred Warner aspect. They have not played a very good defense in a minute. Uh, they played the Bills, who were completely you know, ravaged by injuries. Dolphins fans, it just is what it is, right? And I'm not saying that they're not a great, they're, you know, I'm just, we're just talking about what's happened thus far. They've got a very difficult stretch ahead, but it starts here with San Francisco, a defense that it has an extraordinary four-man rush, just yes. waves and waves of pass rushers. Uh, and... I believe the best middle linebacker in football right now. Dude, Fred Warner is playing out of his gourd this year. It's I feel like it's almost flying under the radar for some reason, but he's playing so well. Uh, and then, you know, I, I would say an improved secondary. I think what I'm curious to see in, the, to me, this comes down to two things. What does D'Amico Ryans do to take away the middle of the field? Which again, just has been such an issue um, but you, again, you have this this incredible cover linebacker who's so freaking dynamite against play action, who's just so smart. And you have that four-man rush against an offensive, offensive line that will be missing Teron Armstead. Um, that's a massive, massive injury in this game. Yeah, and Armstead was hurt during the Bridgewater-Skyler games, uh, which created that ripple effect where like the Dolphins suddenly couldn't do anything. 
And you might say, well, that's the quarterbacks, but also the protection was horrendous. Certainly the Vikings made mincemeat out of the backups for Armstead there, and that's a problem. And by the way, Fred Warner, one reason he's under the radar a little bit is because the safety, Hafinga, is like stealing all the uh, <laughs> attention because yeah, he's a younger guy, he's a newer guy, and he's making all these splash plays. Um, the, the formula, you're right, because that front four is so important for the Niners. It's almost like the old, how did you stop the old Brady classic era Brady Patriots when they had Moss and Welker and all them. And the only way to was to win with the front four. You needed seven players in coverage. You needed to, your safeties free to go and, and roam a little bit, and then you could do it. And that's a possibility for the 49ers because they can do that, and they should be able to exploit that. I will say with the football outsiders numbers, only weakness of the 49ers defense is they're 29th in the NFL against deep passes. Now, oh, yeah, that can be misleading. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, we, we can, you can say that. You know why that's misleading? Because a lot of attempts that were deep passes turn into sacks or scrambles or throwaways. So they're not in that data. The ball has to be released uh, and go deep for uh, you know, football players to call it a deep pass. But if they do not get home, if they do not get home, they are still very vulnerable against those deeper passes. And they've also, like, they, they don't blitz a ton, but when they do, it's kind of intermittently successful is another thing. I've noticed, but I don't think they need to in this game because I, their, their defensive line versus the Dolphins' uh, injured offensive line is a mismatch. Um, yeah. I, yeah, like I, so I, I would say with the Dolphins, you know, they, their mismatch, I think, their, is their wide receivers against the Niners. They're improved secondary, but still, it is still a mismatch. So for me, just yes. the question is, is Tua going to have time to deliver them the football? Um I don't know. I'm excited to watch. Uh, on the other side, uh, Mike, this is a Dolphins defense that was really bad, but has been playing much better as of late uh, since week. You know, so they they go out, they trade for Bradley Chubb, basically to be able to get pressure for four. Since week eight, they are tenth in pressure rate when they don't blitz. Um, they still blitz a lot. One thing that I think is meaningful in this game is, you know, this is a Niners, a Dolphins defense that's really changed its identity. Used to be this like crazy cover zero man, whatever, you know, and this year they're much more, they they play a lot more cover three and zone, which I think is important against San Francisco because that's a better, um, that matches up better with Jimmy Garoppolo in this offense. Right, right. You can sit back on your heels against this team and you want to do that Mm -hmm. to prevent yak. And I think a little bit of that is you're playing with a lot more leads this year. Um, so when you're playing with a lot more leads, and like <laughs> for example, <laughs> right, right, so especially if you're playing the Texans in the second half and you're up by 30 points, it's like eh, I don't think we're bringing the zero blitzes. But you're right, there's also sort of an identity shift there. Definitely has been an improvement when they've been able to get Chubb out there with Ingram and Phillips and some of the other guys along the way. Uh, but you, you talked about the difference in depth of target. I mentioned Dolphins number one in deep passing as on offense. The 49ers are number one in short passing on offense, which should come as no surprise to anyone. But it goes way down to 24th, I believe. I don't have the number in front of me. In deep passing, totally on brand. Totally on brand for Garoppolo and the 49ers. The question is, does this create easier opportunities for the Dolphins where they can say, yeah, we can blitz a little bit more. And when we sit in our zones, we don't necess- We can a little be more constricted in our zones because we don't have to worry about too many things getting past our safeties on the back end. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, we should, I should pause and note, you know, the strength on strength matchup is the other side of the football, right? So because the, 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 the Niners <laughs> offense, I mean, we're coming off a week where they did not look good against New Orleans. I, I want to mention that, you know, the, the defense has carried this team in the way, the same way that the Miami offense carried their team for a while. Um 
and you know points have been hard to come by at and I think like Garoppolo has been, he's definitely been worse than two out this year, but he's also been up and down, you know, and I thought last week was a down. He, there was, he missed a couple of throws that would have completely changed the tenor of that game. And I think as good as their defense is like that, he has to plug, like they have the margin for error in this game because of the Miami offense is a lot smaller. Um, I, yeah, to me, so that I would say, like, there's just a lot. There, there's a fair amount of pressure on that unit to produce more than they have. It, it feels like the 49ers have the same season every year. I, I really <laughs> feel like it's coming really a segment about the 49ers, and it's like front four Jimmy Garoppolo throwing short. I know. Yeah, was hurt, but he's back. Bosa was in and out, but he's back. It's it's kind of the same story here, and, and that makes it actually hard to analyze because it's like okay, it's it's another variation on this theme. They don't really have a what I call a super quality win since the Chiefs. Um, you know, the Saints rolled over. Mm. Uh, they, they scored thirty eight on the Cardinals. If I'm remembering that game correctly, the Cardinals just kept handing the ball back to them, handing the ball back to them, as the Cardinals often do, and yeah, yeah. you wind up rolling away from it there uh, and they had a Rams game in there and they had a, a, a nip and tuck Chargers game which was a gutsy win but whatever I have a hard time finding the range of this 49ers team so if I'm making a pick I'm going to go with the Dolphins team that you know DVLA is saying this is a historic offense this isn't just you know a good offense or a surprising mm. offense this, this is an offense that in DVOA is up there with uh, the great Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, the Dan Marino 84. That's what's happening. It's it's a little bit disguised because of the injury games. But that's I was just what's about happening. to ask, like, is that do you think that's distorted by the Bills game? Because that was not the Bills. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, they're getting an opponent adjustment for that, but I don't know how extreme it is. But it's also distorted by you know DVOA does put. It doesn't say, oh, Tua wasn't there. That doesn't count. So 1740 lost to the Jets. That's, that's also in, that's in, fair. Yeah. in there, too. So I think it balances out. The raw stats are low because of a couple weeks of Skyler and Teddy. Um, but the rate stats are high. And when I look up and down overall, yeah, I mean, I can see the Bears and Texans in there, too. I believe it. I believe it to the point that this is really as maybe it's not Dan Marino 84 but it is really really something special that isn't necessarily going to get nerfed even by facing a really great defense yeah I mean I believe it just because this combination of speed at wide receiver is just not something we see <laughs> so um you know even against uh they have you know beyond this game they have some good defenses it's not it, I don't think it's built a house of cards at all based on quality of opponent. I just kind of like, I'm like, ah, I'm looking at the schedule, you know, I'm like, ah, it's a D, like the best. Um, it's interesting to me that DVOA is so high on them after playing the Texans, Browns, Bears, and Lions over the last four weeks. And then, <laughs> you know, before then, um, but then before then, the, the big win on offense, you know, there was the Bills and then the, the Ravens game is the one, but that was sort of like a, a also like a Ravens defense that really had um, similar issues. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I just, I'm just really excited because I feel like we're just going to learn a lot about both of these teams from this game. And that's really fun. I also slightly lean Dolphins just for basically the same reason and just because of the inconsistency, inconsistency pardon me, of the Niners offense thus far. Um and because of the improvements we've seen from that Dolphins pass rush. But I don't know. This is, 
Do you think this, let me wrap here. Do you think this is, so the Dolphins, you know, ahead, they have the, well, they're playing the Patriots again. And I, I almost want to revisit that week one game, but do you think <laughs> that this is the best def, like the defense that, if you had to pick a defense to give the Dolphins offense trouble, you know, I talked a little bit about how they have, you know, Fred Warner. Do you think this is the one? It probably is the one. I mean, a healthy Bills defense, if that would ever exist again, would be the other yeah. one. And the the game planning of Belichick, I would I would put in there as well mm-hmm. that he could come up with something on on the whiteboard. You can't cover Tyreek on a whiteboard, but you can like you can generate pass rush and do some other things. Stop the run certainly. So yeah. so those would be the things. And I think for both of these teams, you know, they're penciled in playoff teams. Um, but like, where where do they fit into that playoff? I think these are two teams that we put generally on the second tier, you know, below the Chiefs and Eagles and Cowboys and all. But the winner, maybe that winner yes. is saying, "Hey, we put the first here." You know, totally agree. Yeah, I think whoever, especially if it's a, it's a, if it's like a really convincing win, I think it again has the potential to really vault one of these teams into that sort of estimation of public. So can't wait. All right. Um, before we take, let, let's talk about one more quick break, game before we take a break, and that's Titans-Eagles. So I think I had earmarked this a, f- a few weeks ago um, when the Eagles were undefeated. I was I expressed some concerns about their run defense and because I kept getting asked, <laughs> what's the game that they could lose? And I pointed to the Titans game. This is a, a, before they lost, obviously. Um, so the Eagles' run defense continues to be a concern. However, Mike... The Titans rushing attack has not been great um, over the last month or so. You saw that on display this last week uh, against Cincinnati. Um, And a lot of it is the run blocking. Over the last month, Derrick Henry is 34th in yards before contact. Um, That's not good. Uh, Now they have been missing, of course, uh, their center, Ben Jones. I don't know what his status is for this game. I imagine that factors into it. But what would have been, I thought, like a, pretty big concern for the Eagles like this to me is going to be like all right like Titans can you run the ball against Philadelphia because you should be able to <laughs> they should be able to uh, what I saw a lot in that Cincinnati game last week is they're doing their thing I formation they're gonna run and, and uh, the Bengals are just slanting hard at the line of scrimmage and you know, DJ Reader's having a huge game, and they're and they're bringing that force defender, they're bringing that safety off the edge, and he's getting into the backfield before they can get that play going. And uh, the, the Titans are going to run in that way, uh, and they're going to run a lot no matter what. I, you mentioned the center problem; they've had a left tackle problem all season long. Luan got hurt; that other fellow's not doing well. I like the right tackle; I loved him as a rookie, Petit Frere, baby brother. Uh, but uh, I don't know what he really brings to the table. So they really they want to constrict the formation. They want to have a tight end out there, and they want to be able to to do what they do. What's interesting, running game has tailed off. The Titans are the best first down passing team. Yeah. In the NFL, according to DVOA, and it's exactly what you would think. Play action. There's no pass rush because everybody's sort of like focused on, on Henry on the play fake and, and then they drop back into coverage. And that's creating some of these downfield opportunities for Traylon Burks and for uh, Westbrook Akeen and these other guys. So Eagles have two problems. One is making sure they don't get gouged. And the other thing is to not overcompensate to the point, which the Bengals did a little of last week, where guys are just getting open deep because, you know, they got sucked in by play action. Well, this seems like a good point moment to note that they lost C.J. Gardner-Johnson to a kidney laceration, which is probably one of the top five most painful-sounding things that can happen. Um, 
And, you know, that was why uh, you say they brought in Reed Blankenship, who had the crazy interception, but then, of course, uh, took the bad angle on that Christian Watson touchdown. Um, but, yeah, that's, I, I feel like you're, you kind of nailed it to me. Like, that's, that could be a vulnerable area for this Eagles defense, um, especially if they're so worried about stopping the run because they know they're not good at stopping the run. Oh, Jordan Davis might play in this game, by the way. So that, you know, little, some reinforcements coming in. If I'm Tennessee, I, I definitely – uh, lean into that. I would like to see more Traylon Burks. I would like to see more of. Um, I just have. I just know him as Chig, that tight end. He's not really. He's like it's a, a conquo. I don't know. His full name is longer than that. I think he's so good. I. Um, it feels like every time he's on the field, something good happens. So, I feel like there's room for this passing attack to be better than they've been. Uh, on the flip side, Mike, uh, th- this is another area, a reason why I was a little bit concerned about this game a few weeks ago, because Titans have one of the better run defenses. In the, like, this is not what we saw last week, Green Bay. I ain't happening in this one. <laughs> Wait, you're, you're saying that they're not going to stay in a base nickel uh, for this entire game? <laughs> Dude, uh, what even though the hell? Getting- no. <laughs> I don't. I don't even get me started on the Joe Barry defense. Um, I, I, I do an, an injury to keep your eye on is Danico Autry because I thought this defense did look very different with him out, though. Yeah, and of course, the big problem is Jeffrey Simmons. He is the big problem yes. in the middle of that Literally. defense, and that's going to be, that's going to dictate a lot of the things that the Eagles do. They want to just kind of win in the middle there, even in their sneak game where they they, they expect every third and one fourth and one to just sneak for it. That's going to be a problem with that guy in there. Um, so that's, I mean, this is going to shape up to possibly be a pretty low scoring game because I think on defense, the Titans can limit mm. that ground game that the Eagles want to do. If I'm, if I'm the Eagles, I'm basically single covering those two receivers and just saying, yeah, we don't need a deep safety in this game. Come on. We'll just get, send them up there to stop, uh, stop Derrick Henry. Um, and then there are wild cards, like the fact that the Eagles can't tackle kick and punt returners anymore. Um, oh, so, yeah. so there's. Yeah, which is which is very very strange, but yeah, the fact that Tennessee again is defense. The defensive front, when you have a great defensive front, and you know this, that's the equalizer. You can be oh well, we're weak in, mm-hmm. at wide receiver, and we're weak elsewhere. You can get any team to play down to you if you're getting sacks, and you're also getting stuffs against the run, and that's what the Titans should be able to do a little of against the Eagles. So, if I'm Philadelphia, so one thing I've kind of enjoyed about the Eagles offense is how different they are every week yeah um you know it, it's always like a different style of attack different different player who shines I mean shoot we talk about the run like my Jalen Hurts I, I thought Miles Sanders looked incredible <laughs> again competition matters but sometimes you can look at a player and even with acknowledging the level of competition recognize they're like doing something truly special and I felt that way watching Miles Sanders run last week um not just you know the Eagles have the best run blocking offensive line in football the best offensive line in football the lanes are incredible but even with that what he was able to do his vision his balance everything just was fantastic against Tennessee one thinks that the Eagles have the ability as they so often do to you know go to a different pitch and um, and they shown a will Shane Steichen, their offensive coordinator, has done shown a willingness to do that. And I do think um, this is a game where like this could be one of those AJ Brown games because I don't think there's anyone in the Tennessee secondary who can really match up with the Eagles wide receivers. Or, or AJ Brown, that. sorry, not not that there's anyone who can't, but there's going to be a mismatch. There's going to be mismatches to be found through the air. 
there's going to be opportunities. And A.J. Brown, with the exception of these fumbles that keep coming up, has been absolutely yeah, phenomenal. Uh, as a as a lifelong Eagles fan, I was I was worried when Dallas Goddard went down because so much of what they were doing over the middle of the field was going to Goddard. Goddard, their RPO game, which is pretty significant, was a lot of opportunities for Goddard, and they kind of disappeared. And then Quez Watkins comes up and and, and comes in as a third wide receiver and. And, and, and picks up a lot of the slack by taking away some of those targets. And, and that does speak to what the offensive coordinator is able to do there. But you're right. I mean, this is potentially a, this is potentially a big A.J. Brown game. And that's the thing about the Eagles. I think they can be balanced in this game. And they can neutralize Simmons in that front for a little bit with the read option, speed option type game as well. There's a lot of mm-hmm. things they can hit an opponent with. Titans can't hit opponents with much on, on offense. It's running and play action. You know, I-formation play action, I-formation running play. That's kind of it. The Eagles can do a lot of other different things. Yeah. I think if Autry's out in this one, and he was, a, I believe, a game time, or he was questionable last week. So there's that means there's a chance he'll play in this one. That That's – I just want to mention him again because I think – he is another like we talk about the Titans defensive line and what they've been able to do this season after losing Harold Landry this defensive front the fact that they've been so good at stopping the run without with light boxes they right. just they're just dudes across the, like um I mean you know chart like they're just all they're just these it, big hulking disruptive linemen so I am probably gonna take Philadelphia in this one even though I think there's just, I you know, I, I, I just think that the, uh, for probably because of what we just discussed, which is the versatility of the Eagles offense, but I think it could be close. I think it could be close. It's a five and a half point line. That would make me a little nervous. Um, I know I know Eagles fans are going to be nervous. They circled Derrick Henry a couple of weeks ago when Damian Pierce was running through running through the uh, yeah. defense on the Thursday night game. But I, if I'm if I'm playing it, I, I lean towards the Eagles and have to consider the under at forty four point five because this could be like a slobber knocker type of game. And if that if if you like betting over unders, this one feels like an under. All right, let's take a quick break and talk about another game that I don't expect to be very high scoring. It's not Bengals Chiefs. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, we are back. And we're talking about a game with... This probably has actually the biggest playoff ramifications of any game 538 usually puts out like the probability swing you know based on certain games and I gotta think commanders giants is massive because these two teams are gonna play each other twice it's their first matchup they are both playing for an NFC wildcard spot 
Um, they are teams that, as of late, have been trending in different directions. The 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 Giants Cinderella story has been well hurt by a lot of things. One of which is injuries. Meanwhile, the Commanders you can call them lucky, you can call them gritty. I call them winners. <laughs> so um, let's start there. Let's start with the Commanders' offense against the Giants' defense. Um, yeah, I mean it's really hard to talk about the Giants' defense without just talking about how banged up that secondary is. Yes. Um, they lost yeah. their best cornerback in the Dory Jackson. That really showed on Thanksgiving, um, mm. it, which is a shame because I, I think, you know, I they I, I have to say the Giants defense to me was one of the more I was like, oh, I thought they would be horrible. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. they really outperformed my expectations at the beginning of the year. Dexter Lawrence still playing great. I thought Kevin Thibodeau was awesome on Thanksgiving, but I just don't yes. know if they have the guys at this point to keep up. They're out of humans. I mean, they're just out of humans yes. who can do it. But by the way, I have the swings. If you want the probability swings, these are. Is this from the one? This got to be the one. This is the one. This is the most important game. I verbatim from Aaron Schatz. Most important game for the playoff odds by far. Commanders make the playoffs with a win, eighty-three percent of the time. But only thirty-nine percent of the time if they lose. The Giants make the playoffs seventy-three percent of the time with a win. 29% of the loss. And the big story there is that the Giants have worse playoff odds top to bottom than the Commanders right now. And part of that is the way they're trending. Part of that is the schedule lining up. I believe it's Commanders, Eagles, Commanders for the Giants over the next three weeks. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I look at the Giants' defense and I say, who's healthy? What are they doing? And at this point, it looks to me like a lot of smoke and mirrors where – they scheme up everything they possibly can for the guys who are left, particularly guys in the front four. You mentioned yeah. Thibodeau. He's playing real well, Lawrence, et cetera. And then by the fourth quarter, there's, they, can't, they can't hide the problems anymore. And that's where you saw Seahawks pulled away from them, Cowboys pulled away from them. Um, and and you know, I don't think they're going to have an answer for that. The, uh, I thought the Commanders' run game was really, I mean, it was against Atlanta, which is not a good defense. But, you know, right. they, at times they've looked, it's looked good, and I thought it looked really good. I, mean, I thought Brian Robinson, he of big fat fame, of big hat fame, wow, yes. um, ran with a <laughs> tremendous, fr- I, he looks better now than he did, you know, which is unsurprising, obviously, coming off of the injury. So, um, but the, the whole rushing attack, you know, they use Curtis Samuel a little bit. Um, it's, it, I think they use more rote motion uh, pre-snap motion running the ball than any team in the NFL. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors and then just like split zone runs. But um, unfortunately for New York, I, 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 I felt this in my bones and I just checked. They allow, they are 30th in EPA versus teams that run with motion, 32nd in first down rate. They allow 6.31 yards per carry. So <laughs> I don't think that bears well for them in this game. Six point three runs per carry when there's motion in the running play. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's including QB runs. So they're you know they but still it's it's a lot of runs. So this is a pretty large sample size. So it's the worst in the NFL by a pretty large mark. Yeah, right. And, and a lot of what the Commanders are trying to do, like they they play a lot of hide the Heineke to yep. a degree, uh, where they're they're scripting up a lot of things and, and creating you know opportunities for very short throws with that motion and then to disguise their. I'm guessing was a pretty simple running game besides slow motion. Uh, but you're right. Robinson has been incredibly rugged. Um, and the last three games, okay, Eagles, we mentioned run defense, not the strength. Houston Texans, they don't have a strength. 
the Falcons really got worn down. They did run the ball effectively, and they've been con- yep. controlling the clock effectively, especially in the last couple of weeks. The Commanders, I believe they lead the NFL in time of possession, well over 32 minutes. And we checked the pace. Football Outsiders keeps track of pace. They are deliberately slowing these games down. So with the, you know, the, when they're snapping the football, when they're snapping the football mm-hmm. in neutral situations, not in the fourth quarter, you know, th- three minutes left, we all know you wait until the end there. They are 30th, the third slowest, 30th overall team in the NFL. So they are very carefully saying, we're going to limit possessions. We're going to disguise how we're running the ball. We're going to run the ball a lot. We're going to make a short possession, a few possession game, and we're going to try and keep things close and beat you that way. I, I think the Giants kind of like that. Like The Giants are like, oh, good. This, yeah. this game will be over quickly, and like you're going to give us opportunities. Like In the fourth quarter, maybe you're only you know up by six like you were against the, the Falcons. That's that's the Giants' uh, theme music right there, and you know that's probably the best news for them in this game. Yeah, I also thought that um, Falcons put some stuff on tape that you know we've seen the Giants do in the run, especially in the quarterback run game, that might give the Commanders some trouble. Um, that said, you know I, I've been impressed by the Commanders' defense, Mike. Like, uh, you know, this is—I mean, they were awful last year. Um, didn't add a ton of talent. They—they they were ta- they had talent up front. Chase Young hasn't played. I don't know what his status is, but um, so we 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 all know Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, the, you know, up front are very good and against both the run the pass. But um, I I have to say the secondary has played better than I expected, honestly. Um, yeah, Dominique and I talked a little bit about them, and I mentioned that I thought their young safeties are all playing really well. Um, so, yeah, if, if there's something that feels like sustainable about this team for me, it's been that improvement that they've shown on defense because I do think they have talent on that side of the ball. Talent at wide receiver, too, of course. But um, And that's probably why I'm going to pick them in this game at the end of the day. Um, well, I guess that and the Giants' injuries on defense – um, even if it doesn't make me like, you know, I don't think the commanders are a great, a great team. I think they've shown that they can be consistent enough on defense to not like l- have a big letdown game against another just okay team. Yeah, they, they're not, they're, they're an okay team, an average team that has a formula that works for them in the post Wentz reality. Um, and it is this yeah. scripted offense with time shots to McLaurin and then getting the most out of the front four. Montez Sweat also play, playing well this year. Yes. Um, you mentioned the second there. I'm a big Benjamin St. Just fan, uh, and I think he's been playing pretty well overall. And uh, you mentioned Chase Young. No one really knows his status. I did check quietly while you were speaking. He was stretching earlier. So that's that's the status of the game. Chase Young is stretching. Uh, uh, you know, if, if he comes in, I think it's – then I would definitely lean towards the commanders. But overall, I think I'm still leaning that way. I don't think I mentioned, by the way, that Eric Armstead's probably going to play. So Niners, Dolphins, a tale of two Armsteads, you could say. Um, that's big. <laughs> the fact that they that defensive line has been so good with losing him and Kinlaw, just freaking insanity. Right. It's freaking insanity. Right. All right. <laughs> Let's get to the other. I think this is probably the other outside of Chiefs Niners big game of the weekend. Another game I wish was on Sunday Night Football. Chiefs. <laughs> Bengals. This is a true revenge game because the Bengals yes. not only they, they they humiliated they knocked they beat the Chiefs in the regular season then they humiliate yes. them in the playoffs. This is and I've heard Mahomes talking about it a little bit and you can tell he's taking this one personally. Um, 
as he should, because, you know, he, he had a big meltdown at last time these guys played. And I think what's been very cool about Mahomes this year, and there's a lot of thing, reasons why he's the MVP leader and this offense is so good, is that he that hasn't happened. Even, you know, he had like a little, he had like a dumb interception last week. But like for the most part, like this offense, this Chiefs offense has just been consistent. And that I think is why I like them more this year than last year. Um, just because it feels like, I've said I think Andy Reid is like calling one of his best seasons as a coach, and it just feels like they 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 they're not going to panic. That they have answers for different defensive looks, and that they're actually using their own personnel to dictate defenses more than they did last year. Uh, I agree 100. percent I'm not angry by the middle of the second quarter with their offense, the way I really was several times in the last yeah. two years. Like, why the holding penalty? Why on second and two did you just <laughs> launch a pass? down the field when you, you look like there was an eight-yard pass and why aren't you doing all of these things? And, yeah, you're seeing more consistency top to bottom from that offense. And, frankly, yeah, I, I want Patrick Mahomes to be thinking about that playoff game a little bit. I don't want him dwelling on it or whatever. But I get worried sometimes when I hear the, you know, zero memory, you turn the page, go on to tomorrow. No, no, you did some really dumb things. Acknowledge them, make sure you're comfortable with them, and come in a little bit, like, uh, uh, prepared to not make those kind of mistakes again. So the Bengals defense played really well last week. You alluded oh, to yes. it a little bit with you mentioned DJ Reader and what a superstar he was. Um, I talked about them on the podcast on Tuesday, so I won't get into it again too much. But I think my concern is they played really well against the Titans, and I think they're built to play a team like the Titans. I am not sure they have the guys in the back to keep up with Kansas City. That's kind of, especially after losing Cheeto Wuzier. Yeah, with him out, I'm just looking up and down. I, I saw Cam Taylor Britt give up a big play, and he's a young player. And I don't know what Eli Apple's status is, but I know who Eli Apple is, and he's going to give you so much. So they're going to be counting a lot on their on their safeties to come through for them. And I don't, I don't necessarily have a lot of faith that that's a formula for success. Uh, when you're playing a team that can can throw so many different looks at you, at wide receivers that can throw Juju at you one week, one time, and then throw MVS at you the next time, and and Sky Moore getting involved and things like that, they're going to challenge your number three corner, your number four corner, your number two corner, and you can't just say, well, we'll be fine because you know we'll get Von Bell out there and he's going to solve the problem for us. And if they try to play anything like they did against Tennessee, you know, like say. Uh, Kansas City comes out with those heavy looks that they've been favoring yes. as of late, you know, with multiple tight ends in the field. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're happy to run more pass out of those looks. So I think to, to go back to what, kind of what I was saying about dictating, I think if they like if if the Bengals try to go lighter, I think the I I genuinely and this is why I like the Chiefs more this year. They're genuinely happy to actually. I think they will run the football against them if they yes. see the the run, and that's very pleasant. <laughs> they're willing to do that. I think the Bengals' best chance is uh, turning this thing into another high-scoring game. And, mm-hmm. uh, Mike, I do think that's feasible. So let, going to the other side of the ball, um, they, they should get Jamar Chase back for this game. I thought the offense obviously um, held up reasonably well without Jamar Chase. Uh, they are also kind of, I, I think, in a similar way, they've also sort of matured as the season has gone on. I think you saw that really on display against Tennessee. Joe Burrow was like, all right, 
You know, I'm not going to get sacked this game. The ball's coming out quick. We're getting yards after the catch. And then when I start getting those matchups with T. Higgins, I'm going to take them. And then I look at this Kansas City defense, and I think it's totally possible they could do the same thing. Yeah, they're, they are much more flexible offense, the Bengals, than they were, say, at the start of the season or the end of last season. The idea that Joe Mixon can be out for a couple of games and Chase can be out for a couple of games and you get these step-up performances from Perrine. Uh, this, this young man, Irvin, who I never heard of, is making big plays down the stretch <laughs> of the last game. And they're more creative and they're more committed in the running game as well, the Bengals are, I think. You know, you're yeah. you're seeing Zach Miller pull out. Like, yeah, we're going to pull, pull linemen sometimes. We're, we're going to do, you know, some trapping and things like that. It's not just going to be inside zone, outside zone. These are waste pitches between the bombs. They're doing more of that. Um, but I've been surprised with the, uh, with the quality of the Chiefs' defense this season. You know, obviously it's not a top 10 unit along the way. But I think they've been pretty strong at cornerback overall. And I don't think anybody really matches up totally with the Bengals when all three guys are healthy. But I think they've got the guys right now in the secondary that can potentially match up. Yeah, I mean, I think Sneed's really good. I think um, McDuffie, the rookie, has been really good. And getting him back was massive, it's, especially now you know, against teams like this. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll be curious to see. So, you know, they last year... They got burnt when they played man or blitzed. I mean, infamously, right, against Jamar Chase. It's like it was a third and long. Steve Spagnuolo could not help himself. He couldn't help himself. I want all. I just want to be there. I, you know how they have like get back guys for coaches. I want yeah. someone to be that for yeah. Steve Spagnuolo to stop him from blitzing Joe Burrow because you don't have to blitz him. Don't blitz him. You don't have to. Oh. You know this. The, the offensive line is still not great and. If you play man or if you play single high, he will burn you. They will burn you. It's just so frustrating. Um, so yeah, you gotta do you know just you know the Chiefs play a fair amount of cover too. I I said earlier that the Bengals are be- have been better against split safety looks. Fine, take that. You know what I mean? Like take that five yards, air yards per attempt, and and they're hoping they get yards after the catch because. That that's when you don't do that is when they punish you. Um, I did want to put you, you, you talked about the Bengals running the ball better. I didn't really get into this earlier in the week, um, but I grabbed it because I was curious. Uh, so 16% of their runs this last week against Tennessee were outside or inside zone. That's down from 50% in week one. This has been an ongoing trend with them. Yeah. I remember in the last year, remember that game last year where they just kind of ran outside zone over and over. So uh, the run game has evolved in uh, to good effect as you mentioned um and i think that they can have success running the ball against the chiefs um so yeah yeah i lean kansas city but i really liked what i've seen from the spangles offense without jamar chase and getting him back it, it, i i do think that they'll be able to put up points on the chiefs so i i, I feel like this is going to be a really really fun potentially high scoring game so so to be clear you want to be the little angel on steve spagnola's shoulder oh telling God. him not and you want to be the little angel on uh, Andy Reid's shoulder telling him to run once in a while. I, I haven't seen that angel <laughs> since 2003, so I don't know where that, that that cherub has gotten to. But, yeah, Chiefs minus 1.5. If I'm only getting – if I have to, only have to lay a point and a half for the Chiefs oh, the way yeah. they've been playing lately, I think i, I got to take it with respect to the Bengals, with respect to how close it's going to be. The, you know, that's a, that's a sweet enough line that I'm comfortable doing that. Over under 53 – I don't know. It feels like it's going to be 73, but that feels like a trap uh, on that end. So, But I, I'm leading Chiefs. I've been really impressed with what the Bengals have done over the last couple of weeks, though, because this Same. was a team when Jamar 
case went down, it was like, yeah, they don't really have a lot else to hang their hats on, and they're going to slip against some of these tougher opponents, and they and they have not. Yeah, no, it's like I said, it's been super impressive. And by the way, Joe Burrow has been worse against the Blitz this year. Um, but I do mm-hmm. think a lot of that is the lack of chase over the last few weeks because last year so many of those big plays came in those situations. Um, just just yeah, run a stunt, I... run a stunt and, and see if Lel Collins, it what feels like moving laterally this week. Don't let him go straight back and forth. Make him go side to side and see what happens. Oh, my God. Um, God, last week, I don't know if you caught the Rams Chiefs game. It's really it's like a preseason game, you know, because the 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 guy actually the guy the la- the Rams were playing at left tackle, AGR Curie did play in the Rams preseason. I was like, oh wow, and made Frank Clark look a lot better than Frank Clark is. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, one and a half. That's yeah, I would probably go Kansas City. I well, let's let's hope they've practiced their plays uh, versus uh, rush three <laughs> this time. <laughs> I got it. You got to think this is this just feel like Mahomes. He does. He like he is a motivated guy. Like you know, I we, I he he cares about stuff like this. I know that's we've done all this like X's and O's analysis. I'm going to take it back to like the soft take, but yeah, I think he cares. All right, let's take, <laughs> let's take a quick break. I think Mahomes cares. What a take. Let's take a quick break and come back and talk about a few more games. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Dinks and Dunks is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. As always, five questions, four from me, one from Lenny. Mike Tanier, are you ready? Not at all, but let's go. Okay. Uh, well, you won't be ready for Lenny's question, but that's, you know, that's a given. Uh, first okay. question is about Bill's Pats, which we didn't talk about. It's Thursday game. I think it's a good game. Um, mm-hmm. With the Bills games, it's like tends to be just who's playing on defense is like a huge thing. Uh, and Von Miller will not be playing in this game. Um, but I want to talk about Mac Jones. I want to ask you about Mac Jones. Were you, so this has been obviously a, a very difficult season for the Patriots offense. Were you encouraged by what you saw on Thanksgiving? Do you think he has turned it around or do you think that the Bills are going to make mitts meet of him? I was somewhat encouraged until the fourth quarter came and there was no sustenance of it late in that game and it felt like they were just taking advantage of, a, of, of that static shell that we talk about that sort of soft coverage and they were running more up tempo and the vikings weren't necessarily ready for that and he was playing with his instincts and that's fine and then instead of playing with his instincts in the fourth quarter he's back to running you know jj and silent matt's uh, uh, uh offense of mystery and wonder and it, it kind of goes backslides to holding the ball too long, looking for receivers who aren't going to get open because they're not turning around in time because it's not a focused offense. So I'm slightly encouraged. I think he, I mean, Von Miller's a big absence, but I think the Bills are going to be able to, to handle the, the Patriots pretty easily. I wonder if they get Greg Rousseau back because he's he's been a sneaky, also against the run too. I think that's been pretty impactful. And, and I think that... He's week to week, so there's a good chance he plays in this one. And then Tredavious White was on a limited snap count last week. I got to think that's going to tick up, too. So, I mean, if, if they're down to AJ and, and, and uh, Basham, that's a problem because those guys, they're okay. But then when you have to go to the bench, you know, for replacements, now you're getting a real, uh, a, a real downgrade. Uh, I, I tweeted this out, but if you guys are listening, uh, Kurt Warner does these great videos just about specific quarterbacks that I've really I don't know if Mike if you ever watched them but they're really good breakdowns um just kind of looking at the offense as well and I thought he, he did one on Mac Jones and the Patriots offense that was 
really good and talked about some of their schematic issues as well as criticizing Matt Jones. I it's a I really recommend it. Go check out my Twitter. Um, I tweeted okay. it out. All right. Uh, question number two. Uh, this is not about a particular game. It's a quote. You're a very good uh, Aaron Rodgers decoder. <laughs> I want I want to ask what you make of this quote. I asked Aaron. This is from Ryan Wood. I asked Aaron Rodgers if it would be beneficial for him not to finish out the season given his injury situation. Rodgers replied, that's an assumption that this place won't look any different next year, Rodgers said. So I think that's part of the conversation. What is he implying? My God, the passive aggression could blot out the sun with a (laughs) remark like that. I can't even parse it. That's an assumption. Like, like it's the worst freshman in the philosophy class just just spoke up. Um, Right now, gosh, (laughs) in the short term, he looks at this Bears game. He looks at Trevor Simeon. He knows he can go out there, you know, injured and get a win. He knows Jordan Love could go out there and get a win and start making this conversation that he doesn't want to hear and start uh, giving all. And, and yeah, ain't no way Jordan Love is playing in this game. Ain't no way. <laughs> ain't no way. And, and I think everything beyond that, the, the, the relationship between the Packers and Rodgers seems very unhealthy. It's a little. It's like it's like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? It's like you were invited to a house, <laughs> watch them argue, uh, and watch them do weird stuff to each other, and you leave like and it's totally cringe. So that's all I can make of that. I'm sorry, I don't have anything better for you than that. I don't. Need, I don't know what it means either. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, question number three. Speaking of toxic relationships, uh, reported today by Mike Cliss that. Uh, Russell Wilson at a birthday party. Half of the team came. My question for you is this. This is not a football question. That seems like a lot of guys to come. I, this is like, people were using this kind of making fun of it. Like, I think pro football talk was, that means half the team didn't come. I'm like, damn, a football team is big. If 20 plus people came to my birthday party, I'd be like, okay, I'm very popular. I, I'll flip that around though. Okay, so you're Russell Wilson. You live in this giant mansion. You're essentially the boss. And you are married to Ciara, okay? Now put yourself in the position of a 20-something-year-old guy. Okay, well, that's Ciara. She's inviting her friends. These are fabulous, beautiful women that you'd probably like to interact with. Okay, but that's not where you are. You're married. You know, the food's probably amazing. The food is probably incredible at that party. It's crazy. You put your wife and say, hey, we're invited to Russell Wilson's party. Of course we're going to Russell Wilson's party. She wants to go and meet all these other fabulous people. She wants to see these houses. She wants to eat that food. You should have about a nice low you should yeah, all the bathrooms all point. the bathrooms yeah. so he should have like a according to the analytics like a 90 percent attendance uh, rate poor russ. Party. poor russ who want to see and be seen with these celebrities and 50 percent and mike considered that a great win for russell wilson that's just another disappointing russell wilson statistic for the 2022 broncos <laughs> okay uh question four uh, we didn't talk about this game, but I actually think Jags Lions is kind of sneaky, interesting, and obviously does have. Yeah. You know, these are two teams that are realistically in the hunt. Um, I'm not going to ask you who I think is going to win, but I, I, I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence, who I've uh, 
who I, I was really, really impressed by last week. Uh, but, you know, yeah. at times I've been up and down on. I, I'll be honest. And at times I was like, oh, I feel like all my smart film guy friends are higher on him than me. And I don't, what am I missing? Um, but last week just blew me out of the water. So right now I want to ask you, um, on a scale of one through 10, 10 being Prince That Was Promised, one being Josh Rosen, where is your confidence in Trevor Lawrence? <laughs> Zach Wilson's going to replace Josh Rosen at the oh, bottom I of that. Oh, I should say, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, well, honestly, I'm like you, where it's like all the film guys are salivating, and it's like, and I'm like, yeah, he's good, he's good, you know, I'm doing that thing. Uh, so I'll put him at as a passer, I will put him around an eight, but as an all-around quarterback, I'm going to still let's say five and a half. And the reason why is the ball security issues, okay? And and mm. you can't just say you know fumbling at the red zone doesn't happen. You know sometimes throwing the interception into the end zone a little too consistently still happens. Fumbling in the red zone happens. He still does that. He fumbles at the end of that game. He gets strip sacked, uh, and they almost don't have the opportunity for all of his magic. All of that stuff is super easily correctable mm. and will come with time. But until it happens, I have a hard time with the he's arrived, he's this, he's that. So, you know, what's the average between five and a half and, and what did I say, a seven or eight? So, eight, so eight, he's I a 6.75 so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> overall, let's put it there. The highs are so high, but yeah, we're, it's a process. But, you know, it's year two and you feel good. All right, yeah. last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Are you ready? Yes. Lenny wants to know... If you are the oldest football writer alive right now. I believe I am. I think I am seven and a half hours older than Peter King. <laughs> uh, we had uh, JP Acosta, who's done, who was at Football Outsiders. Do you know how old he is? I, I, he's about my son's age. Uh, <laughs> we would do podcasts together, and it was ridiculous. I felt like I was talking to my, to my kid. <laughs> And I knew everyone was just, everyone who was listening was listening to him, you know, because you know, this is a young person's sport. But yes, I, I am. I am proud to say I am the oldest living sports writer. I love it. Well, thank you for coming on and uh, sharing some of your wisdom wisdom with us, Mike. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for having me, and thank Lenny as well. Mm-hmm.